Then Daniel went to see Arioch, whom the king had ordered to execute the wise men of Babylon. Daniel said to him, Don't kill the wise men. Take me to the king, and I will tell him the meaning of his dream. Arioch quickly took Daniel to the king and said, I have found one of the captives of Judah who will tell the king the meaning of his dream. The king said to Daniel, also known as Belteshazzar, Is this true? Can you tell me what my dream was and what it means? Daniel replied, There are no wise men, enchanters, magicians, or fortune tellers who can reveal the king's secret. But there is a God in heaven who reveals secrets and has shown King Nebuchadnezzar what will happen in the future. Now I will tell you your dream and the visions you saw as you lay on your bed. While your majesty was sleeping, you dreamed about coming events. He who reveals secrets has shown you what is going to happen. And it is not because I am wiser than anyone else that I know the secrets of your dream, but because God wants you to understand what was in your heart. In your vision, your majesty saw standing before you a huge, shining statue of a man. It was a frightening sight. The head of the statue was made of fine gold. Its chest and arms were silver. Its belly and thighs were bronze. Its legs were iron, and its feet were a combination of iron and baked clay. As you watched, a rock was cut from a mountain, but not by human hands. It struck the feet of iron and clay, smashing them to bits. The whole statue was crushed into small pieces of iron, clay, bronze, silver, and gold. Then the wind blew them away without a trace, like chaff on a threshing floor. But the rock that knocked the statue down became a great mountain that covered the whole earth. During the reigns of those kings, the God of heaven will set up a kingdom that will never be destroyed or conquered. It will crush all these kingdoms into nothingness, and it will stand forever. That is the meaning of the rock cut from the mountain, though not by human hands, that crushed the pieces of the statue of iron, bronze, clay, silver, and gold. The great God was showing the king what will happen in the future. The dream is true, and its meaning is certain. Then King Nebuchadnezzar threw himself down before Daniel and worshipped him, and he commanded his people to offer sacrifices and burn sweet incense before him. Welcome, everybody, to the weekend. We are about to start a brand new sermon series that I'm very excited about. We're going to be talking about how to live by faith in a secular world. And we're going to be looking at portions of the book of Daniel, because if anybody understood the stress and the pressure of living in a secular society and trying to be obedient to the Torah and trying to be obedient to Yahweh God, it was Daniel, not just Daniel, about, about 10,000 other Jews who had been taken captive by Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon, and transported all the way out of Jerusalem, all the way over to Babylon. It was like going from earth to Mars, so to speak. And you go to bed one night and you worship one God and you have your Torah and you have your culture and you have your family. And the next day you wake up and you're in an environment that has no respect for the Torah, 
has no respect for Yahweh. I mean, Nebuchadnezzar is so filled with pride because obviously in his mind, Israel's God was pretty powerless because he just come in and ransacked the temple and taken some of you know, Yahweh's things with him as well as Yahweh's people. There's a real arrogance that Nebuchadnezzar has. And he just, you know, he just has no respect whatsoever for Yahweh. And he has no respect for the Torah. And his whole goal is to turn Daniel and all of these Jews he's taken captive, especially those who were leaders or had the potential to be leaders, to turn them into good Babylonians. Daniel is only 15 years of age, scholars tell us, at this time. And so there's a real brainwash attempt that's going to take place here. And that is so relevant for you and me because, you know what? Our country is changing dramatically. It is, it is even in my you know, short life of almost 63 years in this country, it, it has changed drastically, especially in terms of morality and in terms of fear of God. It's almost like there's an arrogance now in our country and a mockery of the Bible and a mockery of God himself. In so many ways, we have become anti-Bible and and anti-Christ to the point that it was brought to my attention a a new adult cartoon that's uh, being sponsored by Disney on the FXX network and it's called The Little Demon. And I so I read up about this and I was shocked what I read. Here's let me read it to you. It says after being impregnated by the devil, a reluctant mother and her antichrist daughter attempt to live an ordinary life in Delaware. According to one million moms, the show, this adult cartoon, carries graphic violence and nudity and makes light of hell and the dangers of the demonic realm. One Million Moms adds that the series is introducing viewers, including children who might stumble across the series to a world of demons, witches, and sorcery. Along with the demonic content of the series, the minds of younger viewers will also be inundated with secular worldviews that reflect our current culture. Now, that is not the Disney that I grew up with. How about you? And the reason I, I bring that up is because it is just, it is just one slice of of this mantra that we keep hearing. This mantra that says, you know, the Bible, God, the way that Christians, true, sincere Christians look at it is wrong. In fact, there's a a politician who recently said, listen, you you can believe in God, you can believe in the Bible, and you can be supportive and embrace abortion. Now, I don't know what God they're talking about or what Bible they're referring to, but the God of the true Bible does not support that and does not call us to support that. So I either have to change who God is or change the Bible or cut pieces and parts of it out. I mean, we live in a day and age now when, you know, when everything that used to be right is now being called wrong and what we thought was wrong is now being called right. And it's confusing. It's confusing enough for us as adults. Imagine what this is like for our kids who have a steady, steady stream coming by way of social media and all the other uh, platforms of media, coming through education, coming through politics, coming through the economy, coming through their peers, that is trying to change their whole world view. That's what Nebuchadnezzar and the Babylonians tried to do with Daniel and his friends. 
And that's what our culture and our world is trying to do to us these days as well. I came across a quote recently, and it just really stuck with me. It was by the first president of our country, George Washington. And here's what he said. He said, it is impossible to rightly govern a nation without God and the Bible. Now, that's the president, the first president of the United States of America, who's saying you can't govern a nation if you don't have some moral absolutes and, and if you don't believe in, in God. And what's happened since that point in time is we have moved further and further and further away from this conviction that we need to be governed by moral absolutes that come from God himself to think that we can govern ourselves based on our own feelings, our emotions, our own idea of what truth is. And the problem is where once in our nation there was a majority view, a uh, majority positive peer pressure to follow God and to follow the Bible. Now, we who call ourselves Christians, sincere Christians, are in the minority and decreasing quickly. And so there's this, there's this shift that's happening culturally, and we feel the brunt of it, and nobody feels it more than our kids. You see, the, the worldview that we're moving towards is what I would call a spiritual worldview. And by that, I do not mean the Holy Spirit, and I don't mean the scriptures, okay? I'm talking about this fascination with the occult, this fascination with powers that are greater than ourselves, and uh, this fascination with the unseen realm, this rebirth of paganism. We'll be talking more about that in our series. It's very alive. I mean, look at the names of television programs. Look at the themes of so many movies. It has to do with the supernatural. People, people recognize there's more to life than what they're experiencing. And they're groping and searching for what it might be. And unfortunately, they're searching in all the wrong places. Now, I want to be fair and honest and say there's, there's another perspective, and that's more of the material worldview. And that is that there is no spiritual beings or unseen realm that we are born and we die and that's it. We're just the result of a freak accident in the universe and we've evolved to this point and there's nothing after this and it's every man, every woman, every boy, every girl for him or herself. It's survival of the fittest. So why should I live by anybody else's rules if there is no God, if there is no moral absolute? And so... This is what's driving our culture these days, and this is what you and I and our kids, especially our kids, are being exposed to. In a couple of weeks, I'm going to be talking to you about how much exposure your kids are having to this, um, this philosophy, this idea, and effect that it's having on their lives. But the point is, there's an attempt to switch our worldview away from God and away from the Scriptures and it seems, as we look around, to be having an awful lot of momentum and an awful lot of success. And the question is, you know, what do you do with that? Well, after Daniel and about 10,000 others had been exiled away from Jerusalem to Babylon, there were some people still in Jerusalem, and one of them was a prophet by the name of Hananiah, but he was not a true prophet of God. He was a false prophet. 
And he sent messages to the exiles because, you know, people were going to see their relatives if they could afford to go that far away. And there's still more who are being taken captive in a second wave. He was sending them a message and saying to them, listen, whatever you do, don't move into Babylon. Settle outside of Babylon. Stay where they put you and close yourselves off to the Babylonians. That is, build kind of a, a fortress for yourselves, at least emotionally and mentally and spiritually, and hang in there because in two years, you're going to be back. But Jeremiah, who is also a prophet and a true prophet of God, countered Hananiah. He confronted him and then said this to the captives. He said, this is what the Lord of heaven's armies, the God of Israel, says to all the captives he has exiled to Babylon from Jerusalem. Now, did you notice Jeremiah is telling us that it is God that has exiled the people to Jerusalem? He says, build homes and plan to stay. They would stay at least 70 years. Plant gardens and eat the food they produce. Marry and have children. Then find spouses for them so that you may have many grandchildren. Multiply, he says. Do not dwindle away and work for the peace and prosperity of the city where I sent you into exile. Notice again, where I sent you into exile. This isn't Nebuchadnezzar's doing. This isn't mighty Babylon. God made Nebuchadnezzar great. He allowed Babylon to come in to judge and punish the people of Israel because of their wickedness. But even within that, God is saying, listen, I'm in control. He says, pray to the Lord for it, for that city, for those people, for the Babylonians, for its welfare, its shalom will determine your welfare or your shalom. What a different message than what Hananiah gave, right? I mean, Daniel's saying, you know, don't, don't stay outside. He's saying, move into the city. It reminds me a little bit of the words of Jesus over in Matthew um, chapter 5, when he said to all of us, and I'll begin reading at verse 13, he said, you are the salt of the earth, but what good is salt if it has lost its flavor? Can you make it salty again? It will be thrown out and trampled underfoot as worthless. Then he says, you are the light of the world, like a city on a hilltop that cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, Jesus says, let your good deeds shine out for all to see, for all of Babylon to see, for all of Minnesota to see, for all of wherever you are, wherever you live, where you're watching right now. Let your light shine for all of them to see so that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. Yes, I know some are going to curse God, but there's so many people groping in the dark right now trying to find truth, and Jesus says that you and I were that truth, and we can't hide the truth. We can't hide the light. We've got to let our light shine because that light is Jesus, and he's the hope of this world. In other words, let me suggest to you what Jesus is saying and what, and what we're going to discover in Daniel is, first of all, we're being asked to be a, we're being asked to live a biblical lifestyle and speak the truth in this pagan world that we're in. Secondly, we're being told to demonstrate in this world the love of God. That's part of being light, right? 
God is light, God is love. And thirdly, we're to rely on the power of the Holy Spirit. So what Jesus is saying, and what Jeremiah was saying, is don't hide from the culture. Don't let the culture come for you and change you. You go and penetrate the culture and you change the culture. In other words, don't assimilate, don't accommodate, but also don't separate and don't isolate. Penetrate instead and realize that God has put you here for a time such as this. See, here's the deal. I think what, what God is calling Daniel and the people who have been exiled to do is what God's calling you and me to do. And that is, we've got to get a bigger picture of our circumstances. We've got to get a bigger picture of our circumstances. Let me take you back to verse 4 again when Jeremiah was speaking. In Jeremiah 29, he says, This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I carried into exile. Remember I emphasized that? In other words, what God is saying to them is, listen, I'm the one that allowed you to go into exile. Therefore, I'm in control and I have a reason and a purpose for why all of this is happening. You are where you are right now for a reason. Robert Morgan in his book, The Red Sea Rules, talks about when Israel came out of Egypt following Moses, remember, and they got stuck between the Red Sea and the Egyptian army that was coming. They were all panicked. And he says, you know, one of, the, one of the things we learn in that situation is that wherever you are right now, it's where God means for you to be. Because he's got a bigger purpose. Don't take a victim's mindset. Don't look at the world that you and I are living in right now and what our culture is going through and feel like a victim. Because if you, take a, if you take a victim's mindset, you're going to be defeated and discouraged. The perspective you and I need to have is for such a time as this, in God's providence, we were born and are allowed to be alive because there's a reason for us to be alive right now, and that reason is to make known the hope of Jesus Christ. So that's an entirely different way of looking at what's going on around us. And that's what, that's what Jeremiah, inspired by the Holy Spirit, is saying to Daniel and to the exiles. He's saying, get a big picture of where you are. Don't feel sorry for yourselves. But instead, embrace where you are and now live redemptively like you ought to have been living in the first place. And I think that's what God's saying to you and me in our country today. Whether it's at work or at school or, or, or in our families or wherever it might be, God is saying to us, look, I know it's not easy. I know things are changing rapidly. I know there are people that hate you and hate me and hate my word, but I have put you here for times such as this. You were born here and now because you are to be my witnesses here and now penetrate this world with the truth. The world needs it. And when I say that, I cannot help but think of two of our global partners who began a ministry in Calcutta, India, on the very front street of one of the biggest brothels in all of India, 
where girls are sold and, and, and rented out in the sex trade. It's a horrible place. I've been there. And yet they started a ministry literally on the, on the front steps of hell to provide these girls jobs so they don't have to prostitute themselves. They can, they can pay the pimp some money and have an actual place to live until they're eventually able to get free. And they show them the love of God and they, they offer medical services to them. It's a powerful and it's a wonderful ministry that Wooddale has been a part of. And the reason I, I bring that up is, that is that's what we're supposed to do. You know, Matthew 16, after Jesus asked his disciples, who do men say that I am? And Peter said, thou art the Christ, the son of the living God. Jesus said, congratulations, Peter, and the rest of you guys, you got it right. No, he says, I want you to build my church. And he says, the gates of hell are not going to stop you. And Jesus said that in one of the most secular places in Israel at that time. He brought his disciples all the way up to what we would consider to be a very pagan place. I was just there a couple of weeks ago and you can still see the niches and the caves and the walls where they worship the God Pan and other various gods. It was there that Jesus, in essence, said to them, this is where I want my church to be built, on the very front street of hell itself. Folks, God is calling you and me not to run from the culture and hide from the culture and be afraid of the culture. He's calling us to go into the culture and bring the good news and live uncompromised lives and let the light shine that people's hearts can be changed. We've got to get, you know, we've got to get away from this idea of sticking our head in the sand or running away or, you know, building a fortress and becoming hateful and condemning to what we don't like around us. It is for a time such as this that God is calling you and me to be his servants. Now, when the passage was read earlier, and we watched it scroll by, and hopefully you were able to follow along. If you have your Bibles, I want to encourage you to be reading through the book of Daniel, especially the first seven chapters these next couple of weeks. But there was a statue uh, that was in the dream that Nebuchadnezzar had. If you go back and you read the passage in its whole context, he was troubled because he didn't know what the meaning of it was. Well, if you read the book of Daniel carefully, what you discover is Nebuchadnezzar is an extremely prideful man. And there's a sense in which Nebuchadnezzar wants that statue to be him. What he's going to find out later on is, is you know, he's the head of gold, all right? And then these other uh, metals will represent succeeding world powers. But what's key and important in that statue are the feet, because the feet are the weakest point of the statue. They're clay and iron mixed together. And because of that, the statue overall has a weakness. And it can be easily toppled and smashed and turned over. Because it's got the, it's got the wrong foundation, says Tim Keller. All you have to do is go back and study history and it becomes pretty obvious that every nation, every civilization that has boasted of its greatness, including Israel itself, that boasted of its own greatness and mocked God and mocked his word, eventually crumbled because built on a faulty foundation, wasn't built on the truth. 
wasn't built on the bedrock of God and his word. Why are we seeing things disintegrate so rapidly now in our own country, in the United States? It's because we are moving away from the bedrock of the Ten Commandments, the bedrock of the Torah, the bedrock of Judeo-Christian beliefs, and the bedrock of a God who is one God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, who is the true and only God. And as we move away from that, as we don't allow God and his word to govern us and shape our thinking and our lifestyle, you end up with what we're facing. Because what's the alternative? The alternative is I, I, I've got to find a different foundation. And so what kind of foundations do we see people building their lives on these days? The foundation of sexuality, such a big deal in our culture. It's crazy, isn't it? Or the stock market. That hasn't been too great lately, has it? Or, you know, success in life or social media. And, you know, all of those things, all of those things crumble and fall apart and rob you of life and rob you of value and rob you of worth. And yet your kids and my kids and our grandkids are being told constantly that that's the kind of thing they need to build their, their lives on. So let me ask you a question. Right now, what are you building your marriage on, those of you who are married? What are you building your family on, those of you who have family and children? What are you building your career on? What are you building your finances on? What are you building your future on? You know, there's a great question that you can ask that will help you figure out what you're building your life on. It's this question. Why am I doing what I'm doing? Why am I doing what I'm doing? Ask yourself that question. Wrestle with that question. And pretty soon you'll, you'll discover what the foundation really is that you're building your life on. Because we're either building it for ourselves or building it for others or building it for God. The foundation of self will crumble. The foundation that others want us to build on will crumble. But God's word and God's ways will never, ever pass away. So what about that rock that we read about and saw in the book of Daniel? In that vision, you know, that rock comes in at the feet, right, of the statue and smashes the whole thing, smashes the whole thing down, right, as a result of that. Well, isn't it interesting that this rock, it tells us, was hewn or cut out, but not with human hands? So it's not something humans have come up with, okay? And it's supernatural, isn't it? And it starts out small, and after it smashes that statue, it grows and becomes very big, doesn't it? Well, who is that rock? What does that rock represent? I, I believe, and I agree with scholars who say, that that rock represents capital R-O-C-K, and that is Jesus. And not just Jesus, but also his kingdom. 
So in essence, what Daniel is saying to Nebuchadnezzar is, look, there are going to be many world powers that come and go, but in the end, it is, it is the true rock and his kingdom that is going to survive. And only those, and Jesus talked about this, only those who base their life on that rock, on him and his word, will thrive for eternity. I mean, think about, think about Jesus for a moment. He's, he's co-equal to the Father and to the Spirit. And yet, because he loved you and me so much, think about this, he became microscopic in the womb of a virgin. And they became like a little seed in her womb. And then he grew. And then nine months later, he was born. And then he became a man. And he died on the cross. To the world, Paul says, it is so foolish. I mean, it appears that as Jesus is on that cross, that the world smashes him. That the world destroys him. Kind of like Nebuchadnezzar robbing the temple. Thinking he's defeated Yahweh. When Christ died on the cross, it appeared that Satan had won. That man had won. That sin and death had won. But the truth is, on the cross, Jesus was smashing death He was smashing sin. He was smashing the devil. He was smashing the unseen realm. He was toppling the world and establishing his kingdom. First, the hearts, men and women. This church over the centuries turned the world upside down when it was obedient to him and submissive to him. Someday the Bible tells us Jesus is going to return. He's going to establish his kingdom physically on earth as it is in heaven. You know, whenever Israel obeyed God and stood on God, so to speak, and lived by his truth, they were invincible. But when they walked away from God and walked away from the truth, they faltered. And every nation that God used to discipline his people that rose up in pride and arrogance, thinking that somehow they had done it and somehow they were greater than God and greater than Israel, what happened to all of them to this very day? Crumbled into dust. Listen to me. You and I have been called by God to stand and live on the foundation of his truth and his son. If the body of Christ could just get its act together. And I can't worry about other churches. I can can only be concerned for our church, for this branch of the body called Wooddale Church. If we will just live by the truth, if we'll uphold the truth, if we'll let our light shine, if we'll not retreat from the world but penetrate the world, we're invincible. Because greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. So let me just give you four thoughts that I want you to pray about and think about for yourself, for your family, and for our church. Think of these as next steps. Here's the first one. Based on what we've learned from Daniel, 
Let's multiply and be God's covenant people in the midst of our culture today, okay? While seeking the good of those that God has placed around us. And when I say multiply, I don't mean, you know, go out there and have children, but, you know, obviously if you're married and want to have children, go ahead, all right? But let's multiply spiritually by sharing our faith with others. Let's be disciples who are making disciples in the midst of the craziness of this world. Let, let's see ourselves as the hope of this world as a community of believers, because we carry Christ, right? And, you know, let's seek the good of the world around us. Let's be people of peace. Let's be people of compassion and concern. Secondly, move into the wicked cities of men, but remain loyal citizens of the kingdom of God. Move into the wicked cities of men. Don't retreat. Don't run from the culture. Move into the culture, but, but listen, but remain loyal citizens of the kingdom of God so that we stand out and the world sees the light and taste the salt of God's presence. Number three, move into the culture and engage people deeply, but stay distinct in your habits and beliefs. I got that one from Tim Keller. Move into the culture and engage people deeply. Befriend them. Hear their stories. Even people that are on the opposite side of you politically or even morally. Befriend them. Listen to them. You don't have to agree with them. You don't have to adopt their lifestyle or, or necessarily go along with it, but you can still love on them. You can still care for them and maintain your habits and beliefs based on God's word. Finally, lastly, live and seek the shalom of a community where you live and work and play. Live and seek the shalom, the peace of the community where you live and work and play. In other words, be a person of peace. This is going to be a, a great series. And I think when we're finished, you're going to be tremendously encouraged. As godless as this world is becoming, as hostile as it's becoming toward God and the faith, at the same time, do you know what? There are a lot of people in this world who are looking for something, some alternative to what this world offers that is genuine and real. It is time for the church to step up and be Christ in this world. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for your word. Thank you for Daniel as we begin to explore how he lived in such a godless place and was used by you, Father, to, to change Nebuchadnezzar's mind and heart. He was used by you, O oh God, for the prosperity of, of Babylon. So we want to be like Daniel and we want you to use us. God, we're here for a time and a purpose and a reason. Our lives are not here. We didn't accidentally get here. We are not victims here, God. We are your servants. Strengthen us, we pray in Christ's name. Amen. God bless you.